0: All right, welcome to our Let's Talk Dallas County program presented by Perry Fairway. Always fresh, always fairway. I'm Logan Mance, joined by uh, Iowa Senator for District 14, Sarah Trone-Garriott. And thanks, Sarah, for taking the time. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me, Logan.
0: And, uh... We'll talk about the governor introducing a 1,500 page bill to restructure and consolidate uh, 37 cabinets, 37 cabinet agencies, I should point out. Uh, What will this do, and how will this be a big change to state government?
1: So, this is a sweeping transformation of state government. And in the bill, yes, there are some good things, good changes. But it's very um, concerning how quickly it is moving through the process. An out-of-state consultant was the one that drafted this plan, and they didn't really talk to many people in Iowa about it. Um, And so that's really troubling because now we have just a few short meetings that the public can attend to give input, and it's going to make sweeping changes to how these departments function. And one of the biggest issues is there are a number of consumer protections government accountability pieces that are kind of disappearing. Um, That is putting up a lot of red flags for folks. So the Office of Consumer Advocate is gonna be put under the Attorney General. And these folks, they um, stand up for consumers on all kinds of utilities issues, which right now with the pipeline issue, a lot of people are really concerned about that. And um, the AG can just fire them if they're investigating something that they don't want. Right now, they have independence, which is really, really important to be able to look into issues that consumers are concerned about. The Department of the Blind, the School for the Deaf, um, all of these programs are getting put under an entity that doesn't have folks from that community in leadership. And those folks showed up in large numbers to share their concerns. And they're very opposed to the changes that they're seeing. Um, There's a number of programs that provide protections to children in the foster care system who are in a court process, any kind of challenges with their families. And they're independent from the Department of Health and Human Services, but this would put them underneath them, which causes all kinds of problems for their independence and their relationships with serving the families that are going through these processes, and a lot of them are raising concerns as well. We need to take time to make sure the changes are really serving Iowans and not just consolidating power in the governor's office because a lot of these changes are putting everybody um, under the direct power and authority of the governor.
0: Uh, And then some Republicans that are in favor of this bill say it's going to save taxpayers $215 million over four years. Uh, what's your statement on that?
1: Well, um, we haven't really gotten the fiscal analysis to be able to show how those savings are going to come, um, and if if it's truly going to benefit Iowans. Um, but you know, there is a potential to save funds. We just we just need to make sure that any money saving doesn't come at the ex- at the expense of Iowans.
0: And then something we've addressed before, but we like to bring it up because now it's in the Senate with Senate File 83 and 159, the teaching of gender and identity or sexual orientation. Uh, they're trying to take it out of the school curriculum. And uh, if they do teach it, there'd be consequences for schools, and parents could sue. Uh, what are your thoughts on this piece of legislation?
1: Um, you know, this is again another one of those power grabs um, using a hot button topic to take away decision making power from local parents, local school boards, um, local schools. And it's really tricky because the way it's written, it's very poorly written. It's confusing for educators. And I mean, you know, gender, sexual identity, it's just part of the world and part of our lives. And so there's tricky topics like, you know, if a teacher is, you know, in a same sex marriage, can they not talk about their family? You know, it just there's all these pieces that are just like, you know, makes, you know, it just really puts educators in this very tough position that they feel that they're going to get in trouble for acknowledging um, that the GLBTQ community exists. You know, there's just all these pieces that seem to make educators, put them in the position like they need to be monitoring our children's behavior and reporting to parents all the time. And if they don't, they're going to get in trouble. And this is not what we need to be doing in schools. We need to be focusing on creating a great environment for kids to learn. And all of this micromanaging and surveillance is a real problem. So um, I'm really concerned about it. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's actually solving a problem that we have in the schools and, Challenging issues are really best navigated by the local decision makers for their context, not creating one sweeping decision for the whole state.
0: And then we'll stay on the school topic. And uh, the Senate, Senate Democrats uh, want to uh, provide and have expansion to school lunch and breakfast at no cost. How beneficial would this be for school districts?
1: Oh, it would be huge. So when. During the highest part of the pandemic, we saw a great federal program and expansion of free school lunches and breakfasts to every school, every kid, and so there were savings because you didn't need to check and see who qualified. You didn't have to have all that administration. The food was just available for kids, so it lowered stigma. Everybody liked it. I mean, it's an incredibly popular program all over the country. People love this program. And we know that, you know, kids can't learn if they're, if they're hungry. And there's a lot of reasons why kids might be hungry, not just that their parents are low income, but that they just didn't have time to get a good breakfast for them before they left for school. And so it's great for everyone. Yes, there is a cost, but what better investment than making sure that our kids are healthy and that they're able to learn? And we saw in World War II, the reason why the school lunch program exists at all is that there were too many Americans who were not healthy enough to serve in the armed forces because of malnutrition. And so they started the school lunch program to make sure that at least at school, kids would be getting the nutrition they needed. It wasn't a free program, but it was access. Um, And we've seen that there's such a benefit to making this program available to all kids. There really are no downsides and there's no better way to use our money than to make sure our kids are healthy.
0: We have Iowa Senator Sarah Joan Garrett for District 14 on our Let's Talk Dallas County program. What are often the problems that come with trying to fund no cost school lunch and breakfast?
1: I, you know, I think the only problem is the resistance to paying for it because it just makes the whole process easier um, for kids to get a healthy meal, and it it's just a really great way to make sure that. You know, kids can pay attention and behave in class because when you're hungry, it's so hard to focus and it's so hard to be in good relationship with other students. And so it it really cuts down on behavior issues. It cuts down on um, attention issues and really helps kids to do what they're there to do, which is learn.
0: And then a lot of families run into the problem of not being able to afford preschool and Another bill out there is to fully fund preschool for many families. Could you talk about this?
1: So, you know, when we talk about good investments, every dollar we put into early childhood education generates $6 of economic benefit. You get that kind of return with hardly anything else. And so if we were able to offer universal pre-K all over Iowa for four-year-olds, five-year-olds to be able to get the preparation they needed for school Um, It means it's setting them up for a life of learning, of um, better behavior, um, better interactions with their peers, less engagement with the criminal justice system, um, higher income. I mean, it's just like an endless list of good things that come. And we see with kids who attend pre-K that they tend to have higher achievements in school and that lasts. It, It starts you know, right away. And it lasts for years. You see the difference between the kids who went to pre-K and the ones who didn't. Um, And the kids who went to pre-K outperform the other kids for years. And, you know, that's, you know, when we talk about wanting every child to have a great education, the younger we start, the better um, their experience is going to be the better their opportunities are going to be. And so, it's just a really awesome opportunity for us. We don't currently have that in Iowa and a lot of people can't take part in the pre-K programs in their area because they're only a couple hours a day, a couple times a week. And so if we increase funding, more schools can offer full-day programs for parents who've got to get to work, who need childcare.
0: And I know we're kind of all over the place here, but there is a Bill, in 2017, that cut uh, overtime pay for state workers. A Senate file 282 is trying to reverse that. um looking for a change to overtime pay for state workers.
1: Yeah, so these are the things that we really need to be focusing on right now. You know, Iowa is a low-wage state. There's too many folks who really aren't earning enough to pay for their life, to, um, you know, be competitive with other states, to attract and retain workers, to have them come here and so we need to be focusing on efforts to make sure that Iowans have more money in their pocket um, and that benefits their families, it benefits their communities. And so, you know, rather than some of the bills that we've been seeing attacking the GLBTQ community, let's be focusing on some of these workforce issues, like making sure people get their overtime pay.
0: Again, our guest is Iowa Senator for District 14, Sarah Joan Garriott, and we'd like to wrap this up. Is there any final thoughts, anything you'd like to mention or promote?
1: So just know that um, we're in the funnel week, which things are all over the place because we have a lot of bills rushing through the process, trying to get through the first funnel. Um, there'll be a lot of things that were introduced that it not; are, they're not going to go anywhere from this point forward. There's a lot of stuff that is on the move. And so I recommend that you take a look, um, your local papers, um, you know, pay attention. There will be lists coming out of the things that are still alive, still moving forward, but any time in the process there's always an opportunity to bring an idea back in so please find out who your state legislators are your senator and your representative reach out to them to share about what is priority for you because nothing is truly ever dead in the legislative process and things can be introduced really anywhere along the line if the majority has you know is behind it and so let people know what you need. Um, we need to hear from you and it makes us um, better legislators and serve our state better when we hear from you about what you need.
0: Well thank you Senator Trump-Garrier for your time. We always appreciate it and we love talking to you.
1: Thank you so much Logan.